Welcome to Propinquity Press, where we bring people together with the hope that that experience changes the world. We hope you enjoy this selection by author William Spangler Dunning. Crab Apple Tree Memories It was under the speckled shade of a crab apple tree that I first knew I was going to have a future with telling in a story. The shadows were long and lasted late into the evening as the mid-July sunset resisted gravity's pull nearly into the next day. The other children and I sat on the oversized steps of our hometown Coliseum while our parents twirled in circles to the country music inside the auditorium. As our parents were living out their life choices and values through the social media activity of their time, called square dancing, We, their children, sat staring at undersized apples and wondered together what our lives would become. As a young child, the old call sim always seemed to be something built by giants and meant to play host to important events and even more important people. The exterior walls extended up so high that they blended into the sky and the oversized doors enhanced the feeling that visitors were entering into an ancient castle when they passed through the enormous openings. Those steps on the side of the building that my friends and I often gathered around served as pathways to those doors and took on the appearance of small mountains or artistic buttresses on a cathedral. As we dangled our feet over the platforms that flanked either side of the stairs, I remember feeling as if we were violating some kind of unspoken rule that normally prevented children of our social class from intruding on a great work of art. However, that perceived violation is what partially gave those moments together the power to implant so deeply into my memory. An added magical trait of the building was the cooling breeze created by the height of the interior windows. The building was built during the Depression and therefore predated modern air conditioning luxuries. However, like the medieval castles before it, The structure was designed to mimic the normal cooling process of weather patterns. As the hot air naturally rose in the main exhibition hall and escaped out the high-mounted windows, the cooler air was drawn in through those same oversized doors. So just when the middle of the building was heating up and becoming unbearable for those inside, the steps, where I and the other children gathered, became the perfect spot to relax and cool down. The inward breeze, as it wiggled its way through the leaves of the crab apples, enhanced the tree's earthy fragrance and with it, the depth of our conversations. In the midst of all the reasons why our Colosseum had the ability to intimidate me as a young child, it also echoed with a voice similar to that of my grandfather toward the end of his life. As we sat like grandchildren on its metaphorical lap, We could not help but notice the aging bricks and cracks that streaked across its outer facade. There were no plaques or obvious stories about the many great adventures, struggles, or heroic situations this building had lived through. The building had been a foundational source of hope from the beginning of its construction. As one of the projects for the Depression-era WPA, it provided both jobs to many, but also became a source of inspiration that despite the country's current impoverished situation, things were going to get better. 
It served as the local National Guard headquarters and during the devastating floods in Natumwa during 1947, had served as a major staging area for rescue operations. Over the decades, the main stage area had welcomed many famous big bands, concerts, and formal balls for the elite of society. As the decades passed, and newer, more modern buildings were erected, the events housed inside the walls changed. The large room downstairs had originally been designed as stables and an indoor riding ring to train the National Guard when horses were still the main form of transportation. However, with the proliferation of the automobile, equestrian patrols quickly became a thing of the past. So, with a little sad but practical irony, the old downstairs stable and riding ring became the site for car shows and giant flea markets. The upper room, with a stage and balconies on three sides, now played host to groups with less money and prestige, like my parents' square dancing club. By the time I was to know this grand building in the 1980s, some five decades following its birth and long past its prime years of service, it too was in the in-between years. It was not yet old enough to be replaced, but its state-of-the-art features were clearly designed for another time in history. Yet, critical to this story in my own life, it is important to note that its foundational purpose of providing a space that inspired the people of Otomo, Iowa to see something beyond their current situation was still being felt by yet another generation of children. When human beings are young, Two seemingly opposite developmental realities are always being negotiated, and depending on how that negotiation concludes, determines if a story will rise or not. The first reality involves the dirt in which we have grown up in, and the people who have surrounded us and told us both who we are, and often, who and what we will be able to become. The second reality is less concrete and significantly more difficult to explain to others. It drifts over us like the subtle shadows from the walls of the Colosseum, having little weight or seemingly any real impact upon the direction of our lives. Yet somehow, those small interactions with people and places have a way of giving voice to our inner imagination that allows us to see down roads beyond that which we have known. This is the voice that allows human beings to be different from their parents, their culture, to try new foods or to meet new people. It gives them permission to believe so deeply in themselves that they can become something no one else in the family has ever thought of becoming. It is the second reality that developed in me as I sat underneath that crabapple tree. Childhood conversations are rarely as simple and straightforward as storytellers like to portray them from our memories. As young children, I know we had conversation throughout the Colosseum, and although many of them I remember, I have to admit that most of them I have forgotten, or at least I can no longer recall specific details. This lack of memory is likely because a conversation about the gum stuck to the underside of the wooden chairs in the balcony, or why certain square dancers had blue hair, never registered deep enough to take up residence in my memory synapses. I'm sure. Like all children, we had a lot of conversations about things that helped us pass the time until our parents were ready to go home. Just inside those giant doors was a gateway to a hidden world, disguised, of course, 
as a winding staircase to the basement exhibit hall. I still have a few fractured memories of creeping down the steps into the darkness just to explore a place we'd never been. Since no group was paying to use that part of the building and the basement walls were surrounded on three sides with dirt, no light penetrated the area, natural or artificial. I remember being terrified as we slowly felt our way through the dark to the other side of the room, where we finally found the back staircase that allowed us to return to the main floor. When we ultimately emerged out of our self-inflicted darkness, we were amazed to find ourselves in a completely different part of the building. The other children seemed to experience the adventure as a simple distraction to prevent boredom. But for me, a fearful trip through the unknown darkness was a great metaphor for the rest of my life. Yes, I really was that weird kid who likely came from Mars. As children, we moved so stealthily in and out of the hallways, up and down staircases and through hidden doorways without much unwanted attention from adults. There was a period in my childhood when I could fully describe the inside of all the bathrooms in the building in great detail from the height of a seven-year-old. Those kind of memories exist somewhere in my mind, but they have blurred over time, and for that lack of clarity, I am thankful. What I do remember, however, are the other children who often explored the building with me, and on occasion were able to stay still long enough to have one of those deep conversations that seven-year-olds are often known for having. Particularly, I remember them, frozen in time, sitting under that crabapple tree. Charlie and Russell were brothers and lived with their grandparents. They were the first friends I knew who, due to some situation that I never quite fully understood at seven, had come to live with their grandparents because of a court order. Jenny was some kind of genius and always brought a book to read so she could pretend to have homework in the second grade. She told us each time we gathered on those steps in a voice of pride and with a little pretentiousness that she attended Agassiz Elementary School. She always said it with a little more emphasis on Agassiz to add importance to her elite Southside education. The way she would slowly look up at us with her nose just over the top edge of the book and say, I go to Agassiz Elementary, led all of us to believe that people from the south side of Ottumwa were simply smarter. Her parents were both teachers, and I learned recently that she works as a forensic historian for the United Nations now. So it is likely that Jenny really was smarter than the rest of us. The fifth person in our little crabapple tree gang was Brian, whose parents made him wear suspenders because they thought it looked cute. However, suspenders had a way of attracting bullies like magnets during his early years. Brian, during one of his first visits to those steps and the crabapple tree, blurted out, Thank you! When we all asked for what, he continued, For not beating me up. We later used his suspenders as a slingshot to launch some of those crab apples into the nearby Des Moines River, another boredom distraction. I lost track of those individuals shortly after elementary school, and although I'm sure we all attended the one and only high school in Ottumwa together, by then our memories of those times had faded, and so we likely passed each other in the hallways without recognizing each other anymore. 
Yet, here they are in a story about how and why I turned out okay in this world. If you, as the reader, remember sitting on the steps of the old Colosseum and launching crab apples into the Des Moines River, or if you had childhood friends like the ones I met under that crab apple tree, consider this story a deep thank you. You likely were the ones who changed another person's life by just being a friend. With that particular group of friends, I experienced a bonding that seemed to stretch across the infrequency of time and space. Though we only saw each other a few times a year, when our parents used the old Coliseum to square dance with their friends, we would quickly migrate to those steps underneath that crab apple tree and pick up our conversations just where we had left them on the previous occasions, months before. During that time, when I was still young enough that my parents required me to travel with them to every activity designed more for adults than children, like square dancing and church, I made friends differently than I do now as an adult. As children, my friends were really anyone who happened to be forced to attend an event with their parents or grandparents like me. At that age, my criteria for friends were simple. First, they didn't bite. And second, they were willing to gather on those steps underneath our crabapple tree. As human beings get older and experience more things, we often become suspicious and cynical of others. Our criteria for friendship grows to such a length that very few people will ever live up to the requirements we now hold. We take longer to make friends, and once we have our group, we tend to resist any openness to inviting others into our circle. Perhaps, this is just the way human beings must be in order to survive. But I suspect that the jadedness that possesses our hearts as adults comes from too many interactions with the bullies of life. I know I cannot go backwards in time, but I miss being seven and the openness we all had back then. An openness to being friends just because we shared a common gathering place. If I ever run for public office, I will tell this story and do my best to bring a little childhood hope to a world that sometimes just needs to know we are going to be okay. Sometimes, the stories that dance in my memories resurface not as one story, but two separate events that, with time, have found a way to link together in the words of my imagination. Years later, shortly after my parents drove me down to Canton, Missouri to attend college, my parents had one last square dance at the old Coliseum. By then, I was much older than seven, and that crab apple tree no longer produced very many mini apples. But those steps still existed as they always did when I was younger. I stood there, not because I was required to attend one of my parents' outings anymore, but I believe because I needed to connect to a place that would forever be part of who I was as a human being. As I stood on those steps and looked through the leaves of our crabapple tree, the cooling breeze from the Des Moines River was pulled around me and into the giant archway of the door. As the breath of childhood memories moved past me, I felt a tap on my shoulder. Hey, he said, aren't you the famous Bill Dunning headed to college? At first, when I turned to see who was talking to me, I did not recognize him, because he too had grown older and many of his features were hidden among the wrinkles of his face. 
As he spoke his name, I recognized him as one of the many people who had danced with my parents and watched me grow up over the last decade. I hope you know that your parents are really proud of you, he said in a way that affirmed he already knew I did. You don't know it yet, but you are going to change the world. You have something different in you. And I suspect it came from the best of who your parents have been to this little square dance club of ours. I don't exactly know why he felt the need that day to tell me those encouraging words. However, with a few decades to revisit that moment in my mind, it seems clear to me now his actions that day were something more than an accidental encounter. I don't remember his name. And truthfully, he could have been almost any one of my parents' square dance friends because they all had watched me grow up and became like extra supportive grandparents to me. Sensing that I was about to leave, he reached out and shook my hand, saying with a deep intensity, You really are something special, and I can't wait to see what you do with your life. I remember becoming a little uncomfortable, as I always am to this day, when people give me too many compliments in a row. He must have noticed my growing anxiety and changed the subject. Sure is warm out tonight, he said. I better get back inside and dance some more with your parents. Sometimes. I wish that during moments like that in my life, I would have been wiser and let him tell me more about his story or about his insights into my parents' life. He was old enough that it is possible that he was one of those people who helped build that call sim during the dark days of the Depression, a building that allowed the people of Otomwa to know that they had a future beyond what they were experiencing in those difficult moments. Yet, as much as I want to tell the story differently with a beautiful ending, my memory fades from there until there is nothing left to remember. It is really the last image I have on the steps of the old Colosseum next to that crabapple tree. It is a memory of a person who took the time to watch me grow up, and then years later, take the time to stand with me on those steps and tell me that I embodied the best of my parents and that I had a future story. Telling a child that they have a future, for that matter, telling anyone of any age that they have a future is one of the most powerful things we can say to another human being. My life has been like most human lives full of not-quite-perfect moments that have left me with the simple but important task of connecting these moments together to form meaning and purpose. There are times when I must interpret what I am seeing, and how I put the pieces together has affected the future life I have lived. I may not remember all the stories from my life, but the ones I do remember have helped me turn out okay, and even more, have helped me to change the world. I went away to college and left my hometown, and while I was away, the building grew old enough that it needed to be replaced. A new building was built by a new generation and stands in its place now. It is a beautiful and modern building that will raise up another generation or two. Maybe someday I will return and stand at the entrance and have the chance to tell someone else that they too have a future and will change the world. They named the new building the Bridgeview Center, and it must be said that it doesn't look 
like the old Colosseum from the past. But that is the point. The future is supposed to be different. I am thankful for both my past and my future. But mostly, I am just thankful for crabapple trees that help me remember.